Hello and welcome to Into the Foliage, a monthly side series of Into the Wild focusing on the green side of nature. Join me, Ryan Dalton, and my co-host for these episodes, Janet Garner, as we talk with experts in the field of botany and gardening. This episode of Into the Foliage is sponsored by Leica Sport Optics. It's well known and proven that connecting with wildlife and nature can improve your overall well-being. So why would you not want to turn it up a notch by getting to see things even closer and clearer with a set of binoculars? It's what I have done and I've not looked back. I can't recommend enough checking out the range of optics that Leica have to offer. A great range of kit with superb optics and they even have payment plans if you don't have the cash up front. I wouldn't shout about a company on the show that I haven't used or been impressed by, and it's important to me that companies we are partnered with have the same values as Into the Wild, which is why I'm proud to give them five thumbs up. If you want to check out more of Leica's range, then visit their website that can be found in the write-up of this episode. And now, on with the show. Jan, hello. Welcome to, I don't know why I'm welcoming you. You're the co-host. I'll just say hello. How are you doing? You all right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, really good. Yeah, lovely. Have you, have you had the storms yet? Well, not as badly as everybody else seems to have done, really. People in um, London are I've, panicking. I'm quite lucky. That I'm, <laughs> no, it's quite, I've got the window open, Ryan. And <laughs> the, the olive trees are not even blowing, so it's all fine. I've cancelled my dog walking tomorrow. <gasps> I'm cancelling. Oh. I'm, I'm panicking that the dogs are going to end up in the land of Oz and I'm oh. never going to see them again. So we're kind of like, we're, we're expected to have 70 miles an hour winds tonight, which I don't know how London's really? going to cope with that. I mean, you see what London's like when it gets a, a dust of frost, everything oh, stops. Yeah. So God knows what 70 miles an hour wind's going to be like. What are your gardening updates or your allotment updates? Come on, what's been going oh, on? Oh, Ryan, all of it, all of it. It's all, this is the start <laughs> of it all now. Seeds and dahlias and, no, I've, I've done a few seeds, but I might do some more tomorrow because apparently after the 15th of February, the light gets better. So okay. you, can, you can start dabbling a little bit. So I've, I've done some seeds. Sweet peas are all done, but that was before Christmas. So... They're all on the go. Mm-hmm. Um, I've I've started one dahlia just to take cuttings from. Okay. So that's actually in the living room by the back door. So I've just started one, but there are there will be more possibly tomorrow. Oh, I, I don't doubt that. <laughs> yeah, and and I've taken loads of cuttings, hardwood cuttings as well. So nice. they're easy. Cut them off, put them in a pot. Well, apparently. So we'll see. <laughs> yeah, the theory we'll is. <laughs> yeah, I'll have I'll have a forest out there if it um yeah if they take. So and at the allotment, um, what have we done? Well, not much. I did actually do another no dig bed on Saturday. Just a small oh. bit. I just did that. And, very on um, brand for this episode. <laughs> very on brand, and um, that's all really. Carly's been doing her usual surreptitious building work over there. But no one's meant to see her pouring concrete into the ground and stuff. Nice. So um, yeah, but yeah, oh, we've got raspberries tied up, and so yeah, it's all it's all going on now. This this is the beginning. This is the start. It's exciting. Nice. Well, I'm glad to hear it's all going. What about you? We so the community garden is underway. The council have now sent letters to every resident around to give them the opportunity to tell us to go 
ourselves. <laughs> Which I'm really hoping doesn't happen. But apart from that, myself and Kelly have been driving around collecting pallets that we see laying around. We've got some tyres from the MOT garage to do our tyre pots. And we are getting our seeds going as well. So Kelly's got the potatoes in buckets at the moment to get the first crop going. And I've now got kind of my first lot of wildflower seeds in pots wow. ready just so they start going up. So it's all go. Like you said, we're just waiting to be able to get into the, the plot and then we can start building the beds and stuff like that. So it's all exciting. About a year behind you, to be honest. Oh, well exciting. <laughs> I know, I can't wait. I don't, I can't wait. I don't think people are saying no because it's a, it's a good thing and lots of people might want to get involved as well. You just don't know though, do you? You d- there's always there's always a Jillian or a Keith somewhere that just wants you, something to not happen. There will be, but hopefully not too many, and they'll be outnumbered by the you know the not Jillian and Keith. That's true. That, that's true. No offense to any Jillians or Keiths listening. Let's by the way. pull it out to the universe, Ryan. Put it out there. Let's do it. Believe, Let's do it. believe, and believe, manifest believe that garden. and it will happen. Yeah. Um, should we crack on with today's show? Yeah, let's. Because I'm really excited. I know, and I don't want to make our guests feel under pressure, but we are both very excited about having him with us. Um, Today, we are talking to, um, and these aren't my words, although these are the words I would use, but a guru of the gardening world and a method of gardening um, of no dig, the Mr. Charles Dowden. Charles, welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you, Ryan. I'm very well, and uh, yeah, always happy to talk about no dick. <laughs> are you? Are you? Because is it something that people talk to you about all the time? <laughs> yeah, no, not all the time, actually. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's such a great subject. So. Yeah, it's, it's, it's great, and we've been absolutely buzzing to have you on the show. So let's start with the obvious question, Charles, for people that aren't aware of who you are. Do you want to start by telling us who you are and what is it you do? Well, um, since I left university, I've been a market gardener. So growing vegetables for sale. I haven't done that all my life, but most of the time. I took a bit of time off when I had some young kids and things, doing some different things. But my passion is growing vegetables and selling them. And I've always mm. done it organically. So this is since 1982, 40 years now. Wow. And I've always done it no dig. Although in the 1980s, I started off differently and I broke up ground using a rotavator. Actually, the f- first steps, I didn't know about cardboard then. That was mm. a method I developed from about 2008. And the making beds and then being no dig is just something that always felt right in the 80s, even. And but I wasn't talking about it much then. It was a subject that because people weren't interested in soil, you know, they mm. just about manage organic, but no dig was a bridge too far. So it's only lately that I've started talking about that side of things. And it's actually been great for me because when you talk about it and write books and things, I've, I've written 12 books now. Wow. Mostly about growing vegetables and often with reference to no dig but that's not always the main subject because mm. i'm you know a bit of an expert on just growing vegetables basically <laughs> which has been until quite recently fairly minority thing and suddenly everybody wants now to know about growing vegetables which is fantastic <laughs> for me and so you know then the development of the internet youtube so i've really enjoyed um developing all that side of my my work i've become more of a teacher than a gardener although i still obviously still do the gardening I have mm. a market garden here now of just about a third of an acre, and I'm selling salad and vegetables, mostly salad, because that's pretty much the only vegetable that you can sell for any decent return. And I sell that to local shops and restaurants, and I just got back from my delivery round on this evening. 
So there you go. Amazing. So I've got to ask because I've not grown a lot of veg. I've never had the space in London. What's your, have you got, I mean, obviously the salad you said you get a great return on, but have you got something like a food that you do love to grow? Is there like something that you like, I enjoy yeah, that? Yeah, totally. Well, salad leaves actually. Okay. So, so healthy. So good for you. They don't need any preparation time. <laughs> I think that's partly why they sell so well, actually, because, um, you know, we mm. we mix them in in, in a, a big tub of water, fresh tap water, sometimes rainwater, actually, but fresh, and um, shake out, spin out that water, not, not get the leaves too dry. They go in a bag. And I know that for a fact that a lot of my customers just tip out the bag on the plate and eat them without any other yeah. washing. And sometimes there's a slug or snail in there. Uh, well, never mind. Perfect. <laughs> it's organic. <laughs> uh, but, you know, actually, that's probably better for you than than all the chemicals and chlorine and stuff that goes mm. into these other salad bags you buy. And and we're, we concentrate on flavour and people really get that. And, and so they're, they're a good seller. And, and I, I can see why. And, that, and for me, they're, they're a goodies. <laughs> they're my favourite mm. food. And also, you know, if any of your listeners haven't grown salad leaves before, grow them because you'll, you'll be amazed. You get so much from one sowing. And if you careful how you pick them, rather than cut them, keep picking the outer leaves, you can keep the same plant living for a long time. And that's what we do here. So we're not doing having to do too much replanting. We, we just keep picking the same plants. Like in the polytunnel at the moment, this is February. <laughs> and the plants we're picking from were sown in September, planted October after clearing. Wow. And we've just kept picking them since late November. So that's December, January, February. That's three months so far. And they'll give harvest for another two months so that's salad leaves will be six months old the plants will be six months old by the time we finish that's incredible wow <laughs> yeah and did you know what you're totally right salad is something like because no one i mean even i could grow salad where i am but once you start growing it yourself you start to realize the diversity and the flavor of a lot of them as well it's the same with things like tomatoes it's not all one taste it's really can be diverse so true yeah i think that for anyone who is not grown before i had a guy in a course here actually because I, I do courses at the garden and he said to me he said you know what got me into growing was i had a pot outside the back door and, and it had been growing some flowers and he's like oh so a few carrot seeds in there mm. just a pot of compost and then he pulled the carrots he never grown vegetables before um and he said and then he had one he said, he said oh my goodness me the flavor of that carrot <laughs> and that got him into growing vegetables the flavor he didn't even know about it you know i think sadly a lot of people have grown up now kids you know and they they have not come in contact with these flavors so they just don't mm. know they're there oh. and and carrots you know i'm always shocked if i go out for a meal in a pub or something and the vegetables you know they're, they're lamentable <laughs> they're uh, yeah flavors. you should start start selling them yours charles yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, if, <laughs> yeah that would be ideal potential customer there <laughs> yeah. they, they 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 wouldn't want to pay enough i mean i, I might sound a bit arrogant to say that but I, you know the problem is that it's very easy to mass produce these plants using fertilizer chemicals knackering the soil with machinery and, and you get a high yield and you can sell them cheaply and i cannot compete with that um, but i can yeah. with colored leaves because that's kind of a slightly niche market so I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna steer it back to the no dig now because I'm quite passionate about that as well. Um, well I noticed in your so, introduction you said you just made a no dig bed. That's really oh good. yeah well, yeah I'm I'm totally on on the allotment and the garden um, because I actually saw you on Gardener's World a couple of years ago and I watched it and I thought that's what I'm gonna do because <laughs> I don't have to get but I looked it and I thought this is so easy you just might put it on grass. So when we got the allotment, um, my friend Carly, we've got allotment, we decided that's what we were doing. So that's what we've done. So 
Well, I'm interested. I mean, I've looked at your website, but how did it originate? I mean, I know, I know it's been around a bit, but um, the no digging. Yeah, I'd love to know the deeper history, but all I know is that people were doing it like in the 1930s and 40s. That's as far back as I've managed to go. I suspect it goes back to the Roman times and beyond, <laughs> but we can representation of that. But in, in the, the 40s, there was a, a gardener up in Levens Hall in Cumbria, and he was a head gardener, and he wrote a book actually called The Weed Problem, uh, published by Faber and Faber in 1951, and I was lucky enough to come across this. And he was totally convincing about it, and he just listed all the benefits of Nodig. So, you know, this was 1950, well, the 40s, he was doing it. And then there was another brilliant guy, Arthur Guest, who was a miner up in Barnsley, uh, a real Yorkshireman. And when he retired, he got into quite full-time gardening and he was on the BBC, apparently. So, you know, oh, wow. it has been around and it's been mentioned, but why did it not take off more? I don't know that. Because, you know, as you've noticed, um, it's, it's it's a kind of no-brainer once you do it. It's so much easier. Yeah. You get less weeds, don't you? I'm sure you're finding that. Oh, yeah, and it's just... Not digging, it's just easy. <laughs> you know, you don't have to, like, break your back, do you? You just yeah. put your cardboard down. Yeah. I mean, I suppose to start, there's if you haven't got your own homemade compost, there is a bit of outlay involved, you know, because you've got to buy the compost. But once that's done, the first, that's it, isn't it? I mean, you can buy four bags of compost for a tenner in home base at the moment. So that's a bed. Do you know what I mean? She always so brings it back to home base. It's always it's back true. to home base with you. I've got <laughs> stacks of it in my garden, but you can. I mean, we've got our own homemade compost now because we've been making it all year. So um, that's what I used on Monday, but uh, Saturday. But I would emphasise, to again, to anyone who hasn't tried this or doesn't know for sure, you, you, the, if there is an outlay, it's only at the beginning. And yeah. The cardboard also, you don't need to use cardboard every year with no dig. It's just to kill the weeds. If you've got a lot of weeds, yeah. it's such a nice solution. You simply lay brown cardboard, take the tape off, pull out the staples. Thick cardboard, if you've got cooch grass and vine weed <laughs> things, you can even double layer. And the point about the cardboard is it's a temporary weed barrier. So it's, it's sitting on the ground above the weeds and below the compost. So you've got enough compost that you can plant into straight away. Like this time of year, now you could make one of these no dig beds and go out and plant your potatoes almost straight away. You know, we're not almost yeah, there. Yeah, that's but, what we did last but year. You don't have to wait for the cardboard to decompose, is the point, because your new plants or seeds can get going in the surface compost. And then by mm -hmm. the time they need to root to a deeper level, the cardboard has decomposed. But before it's done that, it's been a fantastic weed barrier mm. and won't get rid of all the weeds. And you'll still have some cooch grass, say, pushing up through. You've got to keep on top of that, especially at the beginning, year one. I always call it year one, differentiate that, because that's the, the extra work, because you're, you're clearing ground, if you like, without clearing it, if you know what I mean. Mm. Yeah. Cardboard compost are doing the clearing. Uh, the advantage of not disturbing the ground is you get fewer subsequent weeds, because ground that's not been disturbed stays in a, I like to call it a karma state. I think of soil as a living organism. If you think of soil like that, and so it's like us, it's, it's a living being. If you think of it like that, if you disturb it, it's going to be in an agitated state and it needs to recover. Just like, you know, if someone prods and pokes us, we need to recover. <laughs> so how does soil recover? Well, it literally recovers with weeds. And with no dig, because you don't disturb it, you get much less subsequent regrowth. And people, when they visit my gardens, this has been going on 
since I've started really in the 80s, you know, mm. they've always amazed. Where are the weeds? It's like, and at first I didn't know. It's taken me a long time to work this out, but it's it is, I'm sure, to do with this whole sort of organism thing. And and now now that we're all getting more interested in soil, you know, think of it more, thinking of it more as a sort of really interesting entity, if you like. And and Nodig really highlights that because you see the benefits of, of, of leaving it alone. And then we're learning about mycorrhizal fungi as well, you know, and how they mm. help plant roots to grow. They weren't talked about when I started. You know, that was totally peripheral. Uh, but now we, we've got understandings that can explain what's going on. And, you know, what I notice here with, with, with my no dig is we, we're putting plants in all through the year. So in, as soon as anything finishes, you haven't got to do any bed preparation. It's all ready. We put compost on only once a year. So in the end, it's actually quite cheap. And then we can put in the second planting straight away. And they grow so fast. And you think, how can that be? Uh, even I'm amazed, you know, every year I'm doing this, I'm still amazed. And I think it is, must be these mycorrhizal fungi, you know, it's like a root network. It's there in the soil mm-hmm. already, waiting for your plant roots. It actually wants them to be there because the, the fungi feed from the roots. The roots give exudates, it's called, it's like excretions of carbon through photosynthesis. And that's the main source of food for mycorrhizal fungi. So you've got a whole net symbiosis going on there, the mutual backtracking. They all, they all need each other, which is great. We're just cooperating with, with the trigger point and, and help it all to, to happen. And you just get this amazing growth from doing less. You know, so it's what, what not to like? And, and that's when I start thinking, why hasn't this called on more? Uh, you know, it's a fascinating question. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's, it's amazing. I think when you speak about the mycorrhizal fungi as well, it's something that we're hearing more and more about, isn't it? Like the more in the, in the science world and natural science, more people, it's, it's being explored so much more. The connection with everything in the soil is, is huge to the natural world, to, to the way we live off of the world as well. Um, for people that are listening that might not... You know, gardeners might, there might be some people listening going, sorry, we keep saying no dig, but I actually don't know. I mean, obviously, it's, it is what it says on the tin. But if you were to explain to someone a bit about what no dig actually is, what would you, how would you explain that? It's so simple. Um, you know, maybe this is something that, that's put people off. How could anything so simple be kind of like <laughs> a, a worthwhile system to, to, mm. to adopt? But it's you don't disturb the soil. So it's like, as you said, it's what it says on this tin. No dig. You're not digging, you're not forking, you're not rotivating. If you're a farmer, you're not plowing. You're just leaving the soil alone. Okay, so then people worry. They think the soil is really firm. That's because they've been sold the idea that soil has to be loose and fluffy for plants to root into it. And that's not true. Soil mm-hmm. already has a structure. If you think about it, if you take over a weedy allotment, for example, or you know, if you're moving into a weedy garden, you want to clear the weeds, say, um, you might, the soil will already have a good structure. Uh, it's just it's full of weed roots, and then the weed roots are what's holding the structure there. So you, you kill the weeds, like, say, with cardboard, you've got that good structure. It's there already. So you, you, you don't need to work the soil. So that's one part of no dig, just leave it alone. And the second part is you're improving a bit on what happens already in nature. In nature, you've got plants living, then dying all the time. And when they die, they drop leaves and bits of twiggy wood and, and that kind of thing. And that turns into organic matter. So that's feeding the soil life. It's not like feeding plants with fertilizers. It's feeding the organisms in the soil with decaying organic matter. And we can speed that up and short circuit the process a bit by making compost and putting compost on. It's just decomposed organic matter. So compost can be any decomposed organic matter. It could be well-rotted manure. It hasn't got to be the perfect compost. If it is perfect compost, great. <laughs> but it can be any decomposed organic matter. It could be your leaf mold. Part of leaves been sitting in the garden for a couple of years. You know, that's your compost. Off you go. You put that on top. 
And then that's how nature works. And because you're cooperating with nature, it all works much better and seamlessly. You do less, nature does more. That's how it wants it to be. And you put the organic matter on top. Organisms come out like most visibly earthworms. They grab the organic matter at the surface. That's what they do. Take it in. And, and then there's a whole series of eating and excreting going on in the soil. And that builds up the store of nutrients. You know, a lot of the excretions of all these different soil organisms is food for either another soil organism or for plant roots. And so that whole process, you don't need to know a lot about it. You don't need to do much about it. You know, just facilitate it. That's that's no dig. You know, it's enabling nature to do the work it it's evolved to do and, and wants to do. Oh, it's got Ryan written all over it, hasn't it, Jan? <laughs> well, there you go. Ryan, yeah. you should have everybody got... written all over it. It should. I, I don't know why. This is a question that I wanted to ask, actually, because I can't understand why people don't do it. I mean, do, do you find that it's becoming more widely accepted now? Because Yeah, thank goodness. I, I'm, yeah, I mean, I'm going by our experience at the allotment and we get people actually vir- virtually laughing at us, you know, because yeah. if we say we're doing no dig, they're all going, oh, okay, you know, let us know how you get on with that, you know. So, And they're all out there digging. And and then weeding. So, <laughs> well, yeah, but, I mean, I, I don't know. Do you think it's becoming more widely accepted than it was? Maybe? Very definitely. I, I happened to meet somebody um, that was at a dance, actually. I don't often go to dances. <laughs> one of the band players. And he's he's up in Stroud, and he said he was on an allotment site, and, and he, he said he was digging or forking. And I said, what are you doing? He said, why are you doing that? And, and he said, yeah. He said, I said, I'm only one of two now. He said, all the rest are following you on the on the allotment site. Really? Yeah, I was really hard to hear that because I don't always know what's going on on the ground, but I get the feeling from the feedback I'm getting and what I get on social media actually as well. It's really encouraging. It's becoming, I would say it's becoming to the point now where it's accepted as an alternative, not that everybody's doing it, which is fair enough, but at least it's it's out there. And I think it has been that people doing it have been laughed at and, and kind of ridiculed because, uh, you know, you're told that, and also this whole sort of Victorian morality, I think that's what it is, you know, oh, Nothing's good unless it's really hard work, you know. A bit of the male macho thing, too. Uh, you know, I would say, at risk of being sexist, that women have been a bit quicker to embrace it um, than men because, <laughs> I don't know, just sort of fits more into their kind of psyche, their way of thinking. Um, but, yeah, there's a lot of blokes catching on there as well. I find it really heartening. And, you know, to give you an example, a comment I got on YouTube recently, it's Guy in Holland, actually, and he... It sounds like they're big diggers over there, most of them all happy. <laughs> and um, he'd been watching my video. He said, right, well, I, I'm going to give it a go. He got a new lot, and he put the compost on top. So it was just sitting there on top. And he got this old guy come up who was the acknowledged sort of double-A expert there, <laughs> uh, man. And he said, oh, no, no, this is not going to work. You know, <laughs> this kind of thing. And, and he said, no, no, I'm just following this guy on YouTube. I'm going to see what, see what happens. He, he couldn't say too much, really, because he hadn't done it yet. Anyway, he planted his potatoes in the soil, just below the compost, you know, no dig potatoes. It's really easy. And then everything grew so well, this guy kept coming and sort of looking over the fence, so to speak. And and um, he didn't say too much, but the, the, the young guy who, who was having great success with no dig, he said he, he noticed that the other guy had stopped digging and he was just putting compost on top. So, you know, that I thought, Amazing. I thought that was just a lovely story. It is great when you hear like it, people take it on board, especially, and I think you're right, Charles, to be honest. I think there is that attitude of if it's not hard work, it's it's not worth, you know, you should be breaking your back to grow stuff because it's food and it takes work. But obviously, yeah. you know, if we discover methods <laughs> easier, I'm yeah. six foot seven. If I don't have to dig into the ground, I'm happy with that. 
I want yeah. to bring the ground closer to, <laughs> to my face. <laughs> yeah, well, I would put it two ways. You know, one is you're being clever. You know, what's mm. wrong with that? <laughs> but also you're helping nature. And I think now that there's more desire to, to work with wildlife, and a big one is climate, carbon. And mm-hmm. nobody is keeping carbon in the soil. You can say to anyone who's digging, you're, you're exposing soil carbon to air, that turns it into CO2. There's a loss of carbon to CO2. And young people, I think, are the ones now who are really embracing this because they, I've noticed, you know, anyway, feel, seem to feel more passionate about climate change. I'm not saying mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, they, they're really concerned, aren't they? So the, this is a fantastic way to get, I think, young people interested in, in growing food because you can just say, well, simply do no dig and you, you're helping that, that cause. Makes sense. And that, that actually, what you've said there really brings me on to my next question, actually, because I was going to ask you what the benefits to the environment and wildlife are. So, you know, with the carbon capture as well, which is something I didn't even think about with the soil. And I know about peat bogs, but I didn't even think about that with the soil. But what um, what are the other benefits to wildlife and to the natural world with no dig? Well, thinking in terms of all the wildlife below soil level. You know, the soil is full of wildlife. If you think of it like that, it's mm. a bit, though, that we don't see because you just can't. You can see pretty flowers and butterflies and insects, but you, there's equally as much wildlife going on below ground. And, you know, I, the way I think of this is, you know, which seems mad to me, is thinking back to the 1980s when I started and how being an, an organic grower in those days was a big deal. There weren't many of us, and, and we were kind of championing wildlife. And yet most organic growers at that time were rotivating their soil. They had rotivators and they, they didn't know any other way to both cultivate and then deal with the weeds. So there was a lot of soil cultivation in organic growing. And by contrast, actually, non-organic growers using weed killers were probably disturbing the soil less. I know that I'm not justifying weed killers, by the way, for one minute, because they, they kill a lot of wildlife as well. Mm-hmm. But it's just this whole weird way on, of... of you know, until recently, wildlife has been only the visible bit of ground. So when you're no dig, you're just helping all the billions, billions of organisms that are below soil level. And we spoke about it being more widely accepted, which, and, you know, it is great. Even I, like, just getting into gardening in the last couple of years, I'm hearing more and more people on this term come up and, and things. And do you see, do you think this method is going to be even more mainstream, like maybe even used in like farming, if not already? Ah, uh, well, no, the, yeah, you kind of crossed a bit of a, bit of a Rubicon there um, because farming <laughs> and gardening are so different. I mean, mm. it's a really interesting question. Um, people ask me, well, how, how far could you scale up what I'm doing here? So, you know, could you do that on 100 acres? Mm. And you could, you could but you wouldn't make any money. That's, that's the difference. You know, you, it's how the words you use, you've got to be careful how you phrase it. So, for example, you know, it's possible. It's not economic, mm-hmm. though, because what I'm doing here and what most of us, I would say, on allotments are doing, we're growing high-value crops. You know, these vegetables, the salad leaves I mentioned, you know, you difficult to grow them on 100 acres with big machines, but they lend themselves very well to growing in, in a small area intensively and you, you can look after the plants very carefully and pick them carefully and get fantastic results and worthwhile amount but if you're talking about growing potatoes or onions or carrots or cabbage or wheat or you know big farm crops then you do need machinery <laughs> so it would be different to say what we're talking about is gardening i think generally i would use, use those two words uh, with the understanding they're different things gardening and farming and farming is where you, you are using machinery. Sometimes you'll have animals as well, but that's, that's a, um, 
optional, uh, but you're, you're talking much bigger areas and lower value crops. That's that's interesting, yeah. But no till it is catching on. Yeah, there was a. I've watched that thing on Netflix that kissed the ground about the no till. That's exciting, isn't it? Because I mean, they're yeah. Hollywood embracing it, you know. So you've got celebrities now coming on board with this, and a lot of that was to do with climate change, wasn't it? And the heat maps of carbon escaping. Yeah, and what the one of the work? Well, I think it was the worst disaster they've ever had in America was that dust. The storm. dust bowl. Mm. Dust bowl. Um, yeah, yeah, and I mean that was 1930. So what did we learn from that? <laughs> it took a long time. <laughs> yeah. Um, with the, I was going to say with farming then. So like with, is that where permaculture would come in for farming? Is because that's done on a larger scale? Is it? Does that have a, any connection with no dig? Well, now, now this is a whole other can of worms, really. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's good. But I mean, it's, you know, because it's, it's, a lot of it is words, isn't it? You've come up with mm. that word, and then you, people will hear that word. And, Pretty much everyone, I reckon, will have a different idea in their head for what it means. And, and that's totally fine, because what does it mean? It's, it's a very vague, all-embracing term. You know, I'm doing permaculture here. Most of us probably are. You know, it's, it's got such a loose umbrella term for meaning. You're, you're just working with nature, really, in, 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 in the broadest sense of the word. You, you, a lot of people will take it down more to detail and say design. You know, so you, you design your space in, in a way that, works best with nature. I mean, that's mm. probably one definition of permaculture. So it, permaculture can happen in a very small space or it can happen in a big farm. So, yeah. There we go. More, yeah, more importantly, it's, it's the no-till, leaving the soil alone. And there are some great examples on YouTube, um, but not so many in our climate. You know, there's people on YouTube like Gabe Brown. He's in the desert of Utah. You know, it's dry climate and that's so different. So... You've got to be careful watching that and the stuff he'll say if you're a farmer, you know, won't necessarily apply to the damp climate of the UK. And no-till is not so easy in damp climates because you've got more surface residue, which is great for keeping in moisture, but it's also in damp climates, it'll tend to harbour slugs. So people who switch from, say, ploughing to no-till, they, through all the ploughing they've done in the soil cultivations, they've damaged a lot of their soil wildlife. And it takes a while for it to build up. And things in the soil wildlife include maybe ground beetles. And, and I don't know if you knew, but ground beetles eat slug eggs. So, you know, they're a great ally. Ah. But if you've been killing them all with machinery over decades, they, you're not going to have many of them. So what a lot of people find when they switch from plowing to no-till is a lot of slugs. And, you know, I'm not saying it's only to do with ground beetles. There's a whole host of mechanisms there. Uh, but it's an example of the whole process that takes a while to recover and then get in place again. So it's not, I think it's not easy actually to switch from um, tillage to no-till on a farm. And it's much easier in a garden because we can kind of like take that shortcut of applying extra compost at the beginning. And, and it, suddenly you've got a fantastic ecosystem there and very quickly you can get into no-dig, for example. I've got to say, like, I'm not sure if you noticed this, Charles, but when you said ground beetles eat slug eggs, Jan looks so excited. Oh, just slugs. I've never slugs. seen her grab a pen quicker in her life to write down the word ground beetle. Do you know what, though? Last year was a particularly sluggy year, wasn't it? I mean, it was because it was so wet. Yeah. But we found not at the allotment because this, this was my theory on that. All the allotments around us were using slug pellets, <laughs> we think. So we think all the slugs were going there 
to eat the pellets and they left, well, my dahlias didn't get touched. They were just wonderful in the no-dig bed. But in my garden, dahlias gone, literally disappeared, like in about four days. They were just gone. There was nothing there at all. But it is habitat as well, isn't it? You've yeah. got more slug habitat in a small garden. Yeah. And you've got edges that are overgrown, that kind of thing, which is yeah. nice, obviously. <laughs> I need to get birds in, don't I, as well, more. Well, yeah, eat. but I, I don't know. It's not an easy one. A small garden is a haven for slugs. I think you can't get around well, that. I had it here in part of my garden, which is a smaller space, more edges, and I was going out at night picking them off. You know, sometimes you've got to intervene a bit. Even then mm. I was struggling to keep keep up with it. Whereas in the, the more open, larger garden, it was less problem. I told you, Jan, you've got a grandson. Get him out there. <laughs> Get him out yeah. there. Any of slug. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> what, one, one of my tactics last year was that I decided to try and put plants in the garden that slugs don't actually like. Because I thought, you know, there's plenty of those. So, but it's just the dahlias because it's not an obsession, but it's um... almost. So, yeah, I just, you know, they just love them, don't they? So Yeah, they do. But what you said about your, your allotment is interesting because I think there's an element there of the soil at the allotment. Like I was saying about the ground beetles, your soil is is developing a, a better balance. And so, yeah, I'm sure there were less slugs on the allotment, but if the ones that came in, maybe they were getting eaten by beetles, you know, whatever. We don't know. Yeah. I hear it a lot. Sorry to try. Um, uh, with the allotment, people who have no dig allotment say that they get less slug problem than their neighbours who are digging you know well there you yeah. go i mean this is this is like key info for me before i start this community garden <laughs> yeah yeah well it's really good to know isn't it and also slug pellets you know i'm always shocked if i do visit a lot and like how many people are using how many of those bloody things they're putting down they, mm. they're horrible poison and you know they're killing mm. birds and hedgehogs and all sorts of things like that and and if you are going to use them you know i wouldn't say for a minute don't ever use them but you just hardly need any Back in my previous life, I did use them occasionally. And you just mm. need one where you've got likely to have a slug and then just pick up the slug the following morning or maybe two or three, but also put something over them. You know, do it responsibly and then it's not it's, so bad. I always find it a very weird time of year in garden centres when that stuff starts coming out. Where It's one of the most aggressive aisles in any shop when you have like the like the slug like instant slug killer, I'm like, how instant do you need? The, they're slugs. They're not that fast. Like, like it's, I always. It's illegal now, though. One of the, the, the mm. some of the slug pellets are illegal. Only the certain ones that you're not really allowed to sell them anymore. That's right. Um, but even the organic ones, so called, they've got a chelating agent, which is quite harmful. Mm. So generally, my advice i'd give is try and try and get away from that whole thing altogether it is like if possible get into a different mindset um you're thinking more positively and you know mm. think that sort of chemical mindset of problem solution more how not to have the problem in the first place um, yeah. so with, with slugs it is about minimize habitat uh be no dig uh you also keep your plants tidy so for example brassicas growing brussels sprouts cabbage broccoli Keep removing those yellowing lower leaves and put them on the compost heap before they fall on the ground and harbour slugs. So it's, it's approaching your garden in a different way. 
get get a bit nerdy. <laughs> and I don't mind that. You know? Be tidy. Be really tidy. Uh, and that really helps. That's interesting, isn't it? Because we're so used to with our gardens, people be like, be less tidy. But I guess with veg growing and that is very different. You're caring for it. Yeah. Yeah, because vegetables are not, na- it's not a natural thing to have a vegetable mm. garden. I used to be really clear on that. You're not going to go for a walk out in the forest and suddenly you see lots of carrots and lettuce. You know, that doesn't happen in nature. So we, we've got to acknowledge that we're, we're slightly going against nature, wanting that. We can have wild areas anywhere else, dotted around the garden, or, you know, if you haven't got enough space, that's more difficult to have an allotment, hopefully. But yeah, you, vegetable gardens, I think, do need to be really tidy. And it also really helps not to have wooden sides. You know, you can save yourself a lot of money there as well, because wooden sides tend to harbour slugs on the inside where the wood starts to de- decay a bit. And then you get these mm. cavities of rotting wood between the wood and the compost or soil that you can't see. The slugs are hiding in there. They come out at night. So I don't, I don't, have you got a wooden side um, in your garden, um, John? No, no. No, we haven't. We've got, we've probably got a builder's yard full of pallets down there decomposing. All, because when, when we started, we put loads of cardboard down and because it's like blowy, we, we laid up, my son-in-law's a bricklayer, so it, pallets all laying everywhere, holding it all down. Um, so we have got quite a bit of wood because every time we get any, we just grab it and take it over there because Carly will use it for something. But we've never done the wooden sides thing because of because of the slugs. What We saw that you said that slugs go there. Also straw, that was another one of my questions because... We've got a um, an arrangement with the rabbit sanctuary that we get all their bedding and poo in exchange for mint that's like a weed on our allotment. So we just lay that on the top because, you know, just lay it there. So at the moment, we're not where we're planting, but it's just laying on top. So you obviously, can you just leave it then, put compost on top of that? or I would rake off the undecomposed straw and put that on your compost heap. Because again, oh, right. a bit of a slug habitat, and you also better off not having undecomposed organic matter below your compost, because then it's in the rooting zone, and the straw, as it's decaying in the rooting zone, will be taking nitrogen and competing with your plant roots for food. Right. So that needs to go on the compost. And, and actually, it's great for making compost. Add it to all the weeds or whatever else is going into your compost heap. So, that, and that's the same with horse manure, then straight in the compost heap. Yeah, I mean, like you've been using it. Well, actually, the problem with horseberry can be weeds as well, kind of a lot of grass seeds and things. Yeah. I, I mm-hmm. would recommend putting it on compost heat, yeah. A question I'm going to have to ask, because I'm going to feel like the amateur here now, because my, I've obviously, I've never tried no dig because I've never had the space to do it, and I'm going to be trying it. But my understanding was you had to build a barrier. Do you, you don't build a barrier to put the compost in? Are you just piling up the compost when you're saying don't use wooden barriers? Uh, yeah, when you if you're making beds, you don't have to have wooden sides. You can you can make more of a mound. <laughs> but you've got uh, you'll have cardboard under all of your area. So as mm. you, you, your question has opened up another question, which is what do you do with your pathways? Because if if you're in a mind to have wooden sides for beds, then you you can let your paths grow weeds if you want, um, because the, the wood tends to be a barrier and stop the weeds spreading into the beds. I recommend. To have weed free paths, and then the wooden side becomes irrelevant from that point of view. Uh, but so look after your parcel, put cardboard down, and, and have clean paths. And you don't get muddy boots with no dig. This is another key difference. People who've not tried it before wouldn't know because soil that's not been disturbed does not get sticky in the same way. 
And it's like That's when you travel the they often ask, do I need to bring wellies? And no, actually, just need outdoor shoes. <laughs> and, and we go out in the garden at any time of year and we, we don't come in with muddy boots. It's really nice because wow. uh, there is compost and wood chip on top, but it's just that more the fat that undisturbed soil doesn't give you muddy boots. So what it means, though, is your pathways are part of your living soil organism of growth for the whole plot that you're growing on. So don't think that just because you're walking on pathways, the soil is compacted and useless. It's living soil. It's your plants can root into it. They can pull moisture out of it. They can pull food out of it. Wow. Okay. Well, do you know what? Whilst we've got you on the show, Charles, we have to ask, aside from no dig, which is probably your biggest tip, what are your top tips for homegrown food? (laughs) All right. Well, how long have we got? (laughs) Uh, Obviously, be careful of of seed packet sowing dates. Uh, If we're talking Mm. just vegetables, seed companies, you know, they they just want to give you a wide window of possibility, really. And it's not the same as when is the best time to sow something. So seeds are precious. They're going to get more expensive, I think. You know, we're we're living in a world of going towards not exactly shortages, but things that we're not going to have the gluts that we've been used to. So look after your seeds. And on my website, I've got a page called Sowing Timeline. And it just gives month by month the best seeds to sow at the best time. And it's it's actually quite a bit shorter window than you'll see on many seed packets. And also later often in the spring, like, okay, we're coming into time before too long where you'll be planting, say, courgettes, cucumbers and runner beans. Don't do it yet. <laughs> uh, so well, to give you my times, for example, courgettes and squash plants, I sow them no earlier than the middle of April. And that's in undercover, you know, wow. definitely not outside. And cucumbers, same, mid-April. And yet, you know, I follow a few of the organic organic gardening catalogue. That's an example. I get their newsletters because I just want to see what they're recommending people to do. And they had one in February. So your cucumbers, I couldn't believe it. Yeah, that's such bad advice because people are then going to sow them. And uh, yeah, they'll get nice plants for a little while. They got them in the warmth of the house. What are they going to do with them then? It's way too early to plant cucumbers outside. <laughs> cucumbers hate the cold and they're killed, killed by frost. So they're probably going to lose those plants. You know, that's, that's mm. the long and short of it. And so you, be careful where you take advice from. Uh, just follow that sowing time. Now, that would be one thing that could save you a lot of time and money and seed. And yeah, just be a bit careful. Go steady. And Jan, have you got any questions about veg? Because you've got a lot. Before I get on to my last question of the podcast, I want to make sure you use this time, Jan, and get all the information you need. <laughs> um, I just want to say thanks for that last advice because Carly, my fellow allotmentee actually said to me ask charles dowding if it's all right for me to start sowing my seeds so um no it's not i'm gonna no but, gonna but hang on a minute some seeds are good to sow now like onions spring onions cabbage oh yeah no, you know they're, they're, they're all listed there on, on on the website it's all free information you can get a lot of people use it and, and i'm glad they do because i know it'd be saving a lot of hassle uh, but i run a beans i don't sow until the middle of may just to give you an idea you know so yeah. just being clear, broad beans, yeah, so they're not. Runner beans, may. Yeah, I'm going to tell her, I'm, I'm, I'm actually going to text her after this and tell her to get on your <laughs> website on that sewing timeline. Um, what questions have I got? I don't know. You've answered it all, really. Well, I don't mind hearing that because, you know, in some ways it's very simple. And, and you know, two more tips I can give you, actually. One is... The traditional way of presenting the information with vegetables is you've got heavy feeders and you've got light feeders and, you, mm. you know, this goes in with feeding and fertilizers, all that sort of thing. I don't do any of that. I just treat all my plants the same because 
my my thought is I want to feed the soil life. If you feed the soil life, that makes nutrients available as and when plants need them. And compost you applied, it's not like fertilizer, it doesn't leach its nutrients. They're not water soluble, so they just stay in there as the rain washes through. And all of this makes it incredibly easy because all you need to do is put a compost mulch or and compost in the broadest sense of the word, that could be old manure, whatever it is, on the surface once a year. I'd do it once a year, even if I'm double cropping. And and you know your plants are fed. So that, that's one big thing that's become a very little thing you don't need to worry about. And then the other one is the the dreaded four-year rotation, <laughs> you know, which is pretty oh, yeah. much gospel. And that stops a lot of people from growing the food they want to eat, basically, because who whose diet divides into quarters? You know, answer is probably nobody's, actually. You know, quarter mm. potatoes, a quarter brassica, quarter alums, all this kind of thing. Uh, again, I'm not doing it. I'm, I'm, everything I'm telling you is based on experience. So that I've got a trial here where I've grown now seven years in a row potatoes in the same bed. And last wow. year was year seven. They were just as good as in year one. There was no disease. Um, I've had blight there sometimes, but blight doesn't live in the soil, for example. That's another key bit of knowledge. And so you can just, if you want to, you could just keep growing the same thing year after year. I'm not saying you have to, you know, but it's, it's an option. Um, or what I'll do more commonly, I might grow potatoes one year, then follow them with leeks, actually, because you can get two crops a year of a lot of vegetables. That's another really nice tip to bear in mind. Wow. More possible with no dig because you haven't got any preparation of the soil. You can just we harvest potatoes in the morning. We plant leeks in the afternoon on the same day. You know, it's like just break it level a bit. Uh, with no dig potatoes, you just pull them out. You're not digging because they're, they're quite near the surface. Plant the leeks on the same day in July. Off you go. And then the following year, you know, I might then grow say lettuce followed by carrots or whatever. But I'm not, certainly not doing a full year, and and it gives you much more flexibility. And I think it's partly from no digs. The soil's healthier, it's welfare. You can have more fun. <laughs> yeah, I did have I a love... question that I've just thought. Sorry, just a quick last one. It was just not a question, more of a or a bit of a question. I was watching your video on YouTube about the seed sowing, and you said that you're quite happy to use your seed trays and you don't wash them. Yeah. And I was like, oh, it doesn't wash your seed trays. I was standing at my kitchen sink for about <laughs> four hours the other day, washing them all up. So why do you, I suppose you know they're only from your, I don't know, why, you say you don't wash any of that? I would put it the other way around. Why are you washing them? Well, I've seen people doing it on YouTube and <laughs> I just thought it seemed more hygienic to start afresh, like with no slug eggs or no diseases or viruses on the trays so you know the cells so i thought no i will wash them all well put it this way i've i've, I've got trays that i've been using for 35 years now and I've, sometimes two or three times you i've never ever once washed them i don't even brush them out really so the force of evidence there is pretty strong but i think it is partly that way of looking at it as well we've been conditioned to think very much in those terms that mm. there's there's things going to get our plants. Obviously, with slugs, that's true, and snails. But you would see them. You know, certainly, I would. If I saw a slug or snail or eggs, I would flick them off or, or squash them or brush them off, whatever. I, I wouldn't allow that. But everything else, you know, it's like um, going back to this thing: it's all alive. It, it's all there already. All these bacteria, viruses, whatever they are, they're all there. It's just that in in a healthy condition of, of soil and compost they're in balance and so you don't need to worry about it let them look after themselves and you're probably better off actually not sanitizing because 
that there's there's then that natural lovely ecosystem already in place for your new seedlings. There you go. Next year, I then. can't believe you've been washing pots and trays. <laughs> well, part I suppose partly as well because I have to start them off in windowsills indoors. So okay, then they're you know they're clean. That that's, I understand. That's once they've, once they've germinated, I'm putting them outside in Mississippi greenhouses and just letting them crack on in the cold, you know. So, sure. And I've also tried winter sowing as well this year, just to see, where you put them out in a plastic box with holes, just leave them mm. and so, just see, see what happens. Yeah, it's all good to try, isn't it, and fun. Yeah, yeah. So the last question of the podcast is, if you could pass on one bit of advice onto everyone regarding the natural world, what would you pass on? To get inquisitive about the natural world that you're walking on all the time, what you don't see, because it's just amazing. And if you ever get hold of a microscope or can look at some microscope photos of soil and everything that's in there, it is totally mind-blowing. You will see, mm. you well, you'll literally see soil in a different way, but you will also <laughs> think of it in a different way because you'll, you'll appreciate there's a whole... There is literally a whole universe there and, and all organisms of all different sizes interrelating all the time and they're all busy. Uh, I think probably a lot of them have got intelligence, maybe, you know, quite basic. And so, yeah, then you, when you see that, the microscope has really helped me. I've worked with a few people who've got one. And I'm, I'm seeing soil in, even, you know, after all these years in a different way. And it's lovely. I love it. Amazing. Um, well, Charles, thank you so much for being on this episode of Into the Wild. Um, Into the Foliage, sorry. God, I've said the wrong episode title. Um, but thank you so much <laughs> for being on the show. It's an absolute pleasure to get the chance to chat to you and meet you. Um, and yeah, thanks so much for coming on. And I look forward to, um, learn, well, definitely going on your website, ready to pack my brain full of information. Yeah, ha- have a go, Ryan. Have a go. And it's very nice to speak to both of you, and I wish you a successful brewing year. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. It's been amazing. Really enjoyed it. Thanks again for listening, everyone. If you'd like to keep up to date with the projects and work Charles is working on, then you can do so on social media. His tags are in the write up of this episode. Also, you can follow us on social media at Into the Wild Pod on Twitter and Into the Wild Podcast on Instagram. And if you'd like to get in touch about Into the Wild or ask any questions or suggest any ideas for some episodes, you can email me at intothewildpod at gmail.com. A quick note to say that all the opinions and expressions expressed in today's episode belong to the person that said them and do not represent those opinions held by Into the Wild or anyone that we work with or are affiliated with. If you would like a shout out on the show or to be put into a draw to win a free Into the Wild podcast mug, yes please, then all you have to do is review the show on iTunes or Spotify or both and send me a screen grab, take part in our weekly nature highlight share every Sunday on Instagram, or you can tip Into the Wild via our Ko-fi link in the write-up of this episode. Of course you can do all three of those things and increase your chance of winning the monthly mug. Until next time, keep well, stay safe and live the good life.